BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10x points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. NerdWallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side by side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. What could future you do with better travel rewards? A free flight? A room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. Here at How to Money, we're always encouraging listeners to think about some of the different ways they can earn some money on the side to reach their financial goals. And guess what? While you're away, your home could also earn extra income. Your empty space could be an Airbnb while you're traveling, because that's all you need to become an Airbnb host. Yeah, hosting is a lot easier than you might think, and you don't need to Airbnb a whole house. You can just host your extra spare room. So consider becoming an Airbnb host, because your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to How to Money. I'm Joel. And I am Matt. And today we're talking super communicating with Charles Duhigg. Yeah, so think about any great relationship that you have. So whether that's with your partner or a friend, even like a a boss or a supervisor, I'd say that in each of those examples, there's a really good chance that you're both pretty dang good at, at talking or communicating with each other. And, you know, at the core of any healthy relationship is the ability to feel heard and to, to be understood. And that's what we're going to be discussing today. We're, we're joined by Charles Duhigg, the author of new book, Super Communicators, is coming out next week, where he explores everything from how marriage counselors teach couples to hear what it is that goes unsaid to how NASA psychologists look for astronauts who are emotionally intelligent. He gives some incredible examples in the book, but interpersonally in our lives, deep meaningful connection to other people like it is vital to living a fulfilling life but practically speaking it's also really important when it comes to discussing money with a partner (laughs) for instance and so we're going to get into that as well charles we're excited to have you on the podcast again thanks for having me on this is a real treat of course yeah okay the first question we ask every guest even returning guests uh, charles (laughs) is what they like to splurge on and last time uh we spoke i believe you had just bought an e-bike and that was that was your big splurge, and we could. I can identify. I love my my e bike, my rad wagon that I throw the kids on the back of occasionally. What uh, What do you like to splurge on now? Has that been updated for twenty twenty four? So it has a little bit, and and I will say the the e bikes worked out really really well. I was very very happy with with the uh, we got the rad power bikes also, but the um I think the thing I splurge on now is. I started paying for the fancy credit cards, not because like I want to impress anyone with a credit card that I'm carrying, but because it gives me so many points and other benefits. And and in particular, I I pay for the American Express Platinum card, okay. which and the reason I like it is because what is that six hundred ninety five dollar annual fee? It's like yeah. something crazy. <laughs> I mean, it's like every time they charge it once a year, and I'm like, why am I doing this? But then I remember why I'm doing it, which is that. I'm able to book things through their their travel website. And so whenever I check into a hotel, if you book it through their their travel website, they give you like free breakfast every morning and like free valet parking and you know $100 nice. to spend at the at, uh-huh. on the property. And I will say that like it feels like such an indulgence, but when when I wake up and I'm like, "You know what? I can go eat breakfast and have whatever I want because it's free." It's kind of a smart move. It yeah. kind That's of, the thing. Yeah. Like, in You're lucky we're helps. not Dave Ramsey, by the way, because uh, you'd get a tongue lashing <laughs> right true. now, Charles. It's Shut true. you it's down. Yeah. Like you said, you asked for a splurge. This is what I splurge on. It's not. Well, honestly, it's not. It's, all, it's almost less of a splurge because it's just a smart financial move. If you know you're going to take advantage yeah. of the different benefits, it's less like, oh, this is something that has some sort of. I think it's true, except that it's the same way that like having a Costco membership, you're like, well, I'll definitely save money on toilet paper, except that whenever you walk into Costco, you walk 
walk out with like $300 worth of stuff, right? <laughs> Beyond toilet paper. And so I think that's the thing that happens with the Amic Platinum is that I'm like, oh, it's a free breakfast. So I guess I'll stay at that slightly more expensive hotel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So in that way, you're able to honestly enjoy travel a little bit more when you are going to do that. I can get behind that. Yeah. Charles. So I guess last time we had you on, we were talking about the power of habit. Some of your other books, you, you discuss accomplishment. Why did you pivot to writing about communication specifically here in this book? Yeah. No, it's a great question. And and the answer is that, you know, when I was writing The Power of Habit and Smarter, Faster, Better about productivity, both of those books were really like focused on the individual, right? They were focused internally about how to become more successful. But But the truth of the matter is that like, most people's success is not reliant just on themselves. Mm. Most of the time, yeah. if we manage to achieve our goals or we manage to be a, lead a happier and a healthier life, it's because we are working with other people, whether they be our spouse or our coworkers, in ways that allow us to do that. And at the core of that is communication, right? If I mean, we all know people who are masters and wonderful at communication, and we see the benefits that they get from it. And, and the thing that I learned is, you know, in the last decade, we've learned a lot about the science of communication and anyone can become one of those people. Anyone can become a super communicator. And so I thought that was something important to share with with readers. OK, so you mentioned the term already. What is a super communicator? At, like, what's the goal we're aiming aiming for here? Are we trying to become the next Tony Robbins filling uh, a packed out stadium or something no. and, and getting people no, to jump up and down? Or like, what are we going here for with the super communicator thing? What we're going for is we're going for connection. And here's here's the best way to think about what a super communicator is. Let me ask you guys this. So if you've had a bad day. And like just and you need to talk to someone who you know is going to make you feel better. Like just talking to them is going to really help. Does that person pop into your mind immediately? Like, do you know who you would call right away? Mm, yep. Yeah, for sure. Who would, and who is it? Wife. Same yeah. here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So your wife for you is a super communicator and hmm. and you are probably a super communicator for your wives. Right. You have the ability to connect almost effortlessly to to make each other feel genuinely listened to and heard to speak in a way that the other person doesn't have trouble understanding what you're trying to tell them. And, and this is what super community. Now, there are some people who can do this consistently, who can do this with almost anyone. Right. And we've all met those people before. And. What they're doing is they know a couple of skills that are really important. They think a little bit more about communication. And so they've taught themselves a few skills, either through practice or through intuition. But most importantly, super communicators are people who show others that they want to connect with them. Mm -hmm. And it's that demonstration of wanting to connect, wanting to understand that makes us, and this is hardwired into our brains, makes us feel closer and more trusting and to like the other person more and ultimately to feel happier. I love that. Yeah, so one of those skills is actually question asking. <laughs> like that seems to be a yeah. really pivotal part of, of healthy communication. I think there's a study that, that you cite in the book that found that super communicators tend to ask something like 10 to 20 times more questions than <laughs> normal folks right. in conversations. Right. Why That's... is it that, that these questions are so essential to uh, good communication? Well, it, it's so so questions are really, really powerful. And, and you're exactly right. They ask 10 to 20 times as many questions as the average person. Now, some of those questions are questions like, hey, what'd you make of that? Or like, oh, what'd you say next? Right? They're questions that are so slight, we hardly even register them as questions. But what they do is they invite us into the conversation. They're showing that this person is listening. They're showing that they want to learn more. They're showing that they're interested in us. And that feels really good. But then the other types of questions that, that super communicators ask are what's known as deep questions. And deep questions can sound intimidating, but what a deep question is, is it's simply something that asks someone to, to talk a little bit about their values or their beliefs or their experiences. And it can be as simple as, you know, you bump into someone and you say, what do you do for a living? And they say, oh, I'm a lawyer. And you say, oh, my, oh, that's interesting. What made you decide to go to law school? Like, do you, do you love practicing the law? What's the most interesting case you've handled recently? All three of those are easy questions to ask, yeah. right? They don't seem like they're deep or overly intimate. But what I'm really asking that person is, tell me about who you are. Tell me about the experiences that led you to this career. Tell me about what you love about your work. Tell me about what gets, makes you passionate. Those are really, really powerful things to ask someone. And what we know is that if somebody answers those questions, they will expose inevitably a little bit of vulnerability. They'll tell you something meaningful about themselves. And if you reciprocate, if you show something meaningful about yourself, you'll feel closer. 
can asking too many questions ever be a negative like so for instance um charles i was at a, a hang with some people i didn't really know very well I, i'm i'm used to working in like radio for so many years and you know what the enemy was dead air right and so you fill every space with question or conversation and so i'm pretty good at this point at asking people questions and pulling them out but then sometimes i walk away from that conversation and i'm like i don't know if they know me at all so i, I guess can asking questions ever become can it ever backfire if you're maybe like me and you're just on the question asking offensive all the time yes so it's a really really good question because we've all been in that situation right where it feels like we're asking question after question it's and it feels more like an interview or an interrogation than a conversation right and that's not what we want to go for as i mentioned this back off joel (laughs) exactly this reciprocity thing is really really important and so oftentimes Mm. what we find when we ask a, a deep question is that it's very natural for us to answer the same question, even if it's not asked. Because some people, some people are not good at asking questions, right? Like we ask question, a couple of questions, and then we kind of wait for them to ask us a question back, and they don't. But one of the nice things about deep questions is that we can say, "Oh, oh, you went to law school because like you had this experience as a kid seeing like you know injustice." It's interesting. I went to medical school for kind of a similar reason. I mm. like saw you know parts of my city that weren't getting medical care. The thing about deep questions is that they set us up to answer the same question ourselves, even if it hasn't mm. been asked. And that's what gets us out of that interrogation interview format. That's the thing that allows us to start connecting with each other. Because this, our brains are actually hardwired to pay attention to anything that looks like vulnerability. And, and this actually makes sense, right? Because in the past, if, a, if an individual was vulnerable, that meant that they were the weakest part of your tribe or that if you were attacking, that, that that's the person to attack. And so our brains evolved to pay really close attention to anything that seems like vulnerability. That's the loudest form of communication possible. Now, vulnerability can be as small as saying, oh, I went to law school because, you know, I saw like an uncle of mine get arrested once. The reason why that's vulnerable is because it opens me up to your judgment. Now, I might not care about your judgment. I might not care at all. But simply opening myself to judgment, it triggers those parts of my brain that make me pay close attention to how you react. And if you react by saying something equally meaningful, something equally vulnerable, then it helps us feel closer to each other. In fact, Mm. we're almost powerless not to feel closer and more trusting of each other when someone engages in this Mm. reciprocity. That makes sense. Yeah. And you, you outlined in the book too, how that it is very different than mimicry, right? And so like a, a small example might be if we're talking about money, let's say you are starting to set some financial goals. It's still pretty early on in the year. So maybe you're like, Hey, what if we're able to achieve this? We're not talking about just saying, yeah, let's achieve that. Right. <laughs> and just being, uh, just uh, parroting whatever it is that the uh, maybe your partner's saying, but it might mean, okay, man, that's awesome. Let, like, let me share with you what my hopes and dreams are. Yes. Uh, and hope, obviously, hopefully they, they align, but there's, there's something there that goes beyond just imitation. Yes, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And, you know, in, in improv, they have this phrase, yes, and, that whatever someone says, you have to say yes, and to them and, and play, start building on it. And the same thing is kind of true in conversations, which is that when somebody brings something up, it's not enough to simply say, It's not enough to simply listen or say, that's interesting. What you have to do is you have to show that you're listening and then build on it. And in fact, when we have conversations in conflict, and oftentimes conversations about money involve some degree of conflict, right? Because we might be feeling heated or we might be feeling scared or there's just a lot of emotions. In conversations that involve just a little bit of conflict or a little bit of tension, there's a technique known as looping for understanding that has been shown to be incredibly powerful, that, that does exactly what you just said. And, and what's important is that this technique works because it proves to the other person that you're listening to them, that you want to understand. And there's three steps to it. The first is ask a question, preferably a deep question if you can. The second step is repeat back in your own words what you just heard them say. Right, exactly what you just said. Don't mimic them. But and if you have to take a couple seconds to think about what you're going to say, that's okay. Because what we're doing is we're proving that we're processing. We're proving that we're listening. And then step number three, and this is the one that most people forget, but is particularly important in conflict. Ask if you got it right. Because it might be that you didn't actually understand what the person was trying to tell you. But also by asking if you got it right, 
you give, you're asking them for permission to acknowledge that you understand that you're listening closely. And as a result, they're going to want to listen closely back to you yep. and understand what you're saying. You're using some therapist techniques here too, Charles, in this book, right? And, and I, I know because my wife is currently in grad school to become a therapist and, and we're talking about a lot of these concepts at home and, and how she's implementing them in the therapy room. I, I got a, I have a question too. We talked to the, uh, before we started recording about kind of COVID and the impact that that had. We mark our world now pre-COVID and post-COVID in so many ways. And how, how do you think that changed the dynamics of communication for so many people as we maybe retreated more into ourselves, into our families? Yeah. And what, yeah, it seems like your book is so necessary right now as we're trying, as getting back to normal and trying to figure out what it looks like to communicate in the real world again. No, I, I, in fact, that's one of the reasons I wrote the book is I felt like, I felt like post COVID we had forgotten a lot about communication. I also felt like we're living at a time and I, I don't think this is even controversial to say that, that a lot of people feel divided, right? That we feel like we can't have conversations with people who, who believe different things or come from different backgrounds. And that's really hard because, because yeah. we want to connect with those people. We want to understand. I think one of the things that happened during COVID is that people just fell out of practice of having conversations, right? I remember I was, so I live in California now, but I was living in New York at the time and I would ride the subway every single day. So I was around, you know, hundreds to thousands of people <laughs> and then COVID happened and suddenly all of that stopped in, in a, in any given day, I might see literally just my family yeah. for a week or a month <laughs> and everyone who's listening, you've had this experience. And and even now that 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 COVID's over, COVID isn't over, but even now that the pandemic is done, it, I still see that there's fewer barbecues, there's fewer get-togethers. We forgot how to talk to each other in an easy, conversational, fun way for some set settings. And so, the key there is literally just to practice it because our brains are designed to push us. To talk to other people our brains are designed to push us to connect that's communication has been homo sapiens superpower the thing that allows us to succeed far better than any other species is that we can talk to each other we can share ideas and feelings and so learn reminding ourselves of the skills of how to do that can be really really valuable because that's where most of us find our meaning in life yeah that's right uh and also in the book you talk about some of the different kinds of conversations that we have, Charles, right? Yeah. So how do we determine <laughs> which kind of conversation no, it's that we're having question. with somebody? And there's actually um, a story involving me and my wife and money that, <laughs> that kind of is at the core of this. So my wife and I, we this is like years ago, we went on this um, vacation to Florida and it was just the two of us. We found a babysitter for the kids and we went to this like spa. We were in some resort and, and for some reason money came up in our, and like, and we started arguing about money, like literally in the hallway of the spa. And it just, and like, we, neither of us could let it go. Like, like I was like, you know, I was, I was, I was telling my wife that we need to budget more, but really <laughs> I was really, really angry. And, and she would come up with these, these solutions. She would say like, look, here's a budgeting way. And here's a budgeting way. And I would say, I'd say, no, 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 you're not listening to me. Like, like, I don't, I don't want to <laughs> solve this problem. I want you to understand like what I'm feeling. Yeah. And and like we argued for, I don't know, an hour and a half in a spa. It totally it was terrible. It was the worst. <laughs> so relaxing. Yeah, it was great. It was great. So <laughs> best vacation ever. So afterwards, I started calling these researchers and asking them, like, what is happening here? Like, why did why did why couldn't we stop this conversation? Why couldn't we hear each other? And they said, well, look, here's the thing you need to understand is that what the the one of the big things we've learned in the last decade is that we think of a discussion as being about one thing like you thought your discussion was about money but actually every discussion is made up of different kinds of conversations and if people aren't having the same kind of conversation at the same moment they won't really hear each other so when you went into that conversation you were having an emotional conversation and your wife your wife was responding with a practical conversation and those actually use different parts of our brains. And if you're not using the same kind of brain at the same moment, you can't really connect with each other. Yeah. And and most conversations fall into one of three buckets. There's usually practical discussions, which is what my wife was having, emotional discussions, which which where you want to share how you feel and, and you don't want the other person to solve your problems, you want them to empathize. And then social conversations where we talk about how we relate to each other and to society. 
So if we're having, if we're both having the wrong conversation, right, then we're just kind yeah. of talking past each other. And, and she's coming up with suggestions because she thinks the problem is, hey, our budget isn't on track and we need to fix like, we need to fix that part of things. And, and you're saying, no, like money is, is stressing me out. And it's this, it's, it's got this more emotional component. How do we get on the same page so that we're not talking past one another near the beginning of that conversation yeah. so that we're not wasting all that energy and, you know, creating more relational, emotional turmoil? Well, the first thing is just to recognize that you are having different kinds of conversations, right? Just to just to kind of understand that they that that's why you're failing to connect. And then this is where questions become so important mm. because the way that we figure out what kind of conversation is occurring, the way that we align with each other is by asking questions. And sometimes it's as simple as asking a question like, what does this mean to you? There's a story in the book about this guy, Dr. Bafar um, Adai, who's a, a, a surgeon, a cancer surgeon who kept on telling his patients that they didn't need to get surgery and they would insist on getting the surgery even though he advised against it. And so he tried to figure out what he was doing wrong and he talked to these professors at Harvard Business School and what they said is, they said, look, you're going into this conversation assuming you know what the other person wants, that they want your advice. But what if you start by saying, what does this cancer diagnosis mean to you to find out what they actually want and need out of this conversation? And so that's what he started doing. A patient came in, he said, Tell me, first question, like, what does this cancer diagnosis mean to you? And the guy starts talking about how his own father had died when he was young and how that had really impacted him and, and his mom, and he didn't want to do that to his wife. And Dr. Dai realized, oh, this guy isn't asking for medical advice. He wants to talk about the emotions of being mm. worried for his family, trying to protect his family. So Dr. Adai matches him, what's known as the matching principle in psychology. And once they have that emotional conversation, then they can move on to practical topics. And then they can talk about treatment options together. But the key is, if you ask a question first and you listen, you figure out what each person actually wants out of that conversation. It's almost like the bedside manner uh, needs to be there, not only in the doctor's office, but then also in our homes and in our friendships. <laughs> like, yeah. We, we can't just address the the optimization problem or, you know, maybe this specific pointed thing, but we have to be able to identify with the person who's speaking to so that we can have a conversation that actually lands us where we want to go. And and we want to get to, we've got more questions for you, Charles. We want to specifically talk about, okay, what, what if we're having a budgeting conversation? How can we make those maybe more effective? We get yeah. a few more questions we'll get to with Charles right after this. I think there are a lot of folks who start small businesses and they're surprised at the amount of behind the scenes, the admin type work that they're not all that thrilled about. Getting your books together with, uh, with some final figures so that you can file your corporate taxes, for instance. That's something we've been in the middle of. But it can really gum up the gears, potentially keeping you from doing the work you love. If this is you, you should know these three numbers. 37,000. 25 and one. That's right. Yeah. 37,000. That's the number of businesses which have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, streamlining accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25. NetSuite turns 25 this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. And one, because your business is one of a kind. So you get a customized solution for all of your KPIs, key performance indicators, in one efficient system with one source of truth. Manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. Everything you need to grow, all in one place. There's a lot of power in the simplification of having all that information in one place. Helps you make better decisions. That's right. And right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash howtomoney. That's netsuite.com slash howtomoney to get your own KPI checklist. netsuite.com slash howtomoney. So we've mentioned on the show how we've got a Dominican trip coming up. We're going to celebrate, Joel, you and Emily. You're both turning 40 this year, so we're doing it up right. And a lot of listeners, they might have trips of their own planned. And sometimes those vacations can get expensive. So what better way to offset some of those costs than to have your home earning some money while you're away? Yeah, that's right. Why let it sit empty when it can be earning extra income on your behalf? It's a smart and practical thing to do. So think it through. Maybe you have some extra space in your home. Maybe you have a whole house to host. Or maybe you're going on vacation and your home is just going to be sitting empty. In every case, you can Airbnb it. You already have the space, so it won't be a huge adjustment. Yeah, I mean, the way I see it, if you're not using your space, you've got two options. You can either let it just sit there empty, or 
you can do some optimizing and make some money off of it. Really, if you think about it, you already have an Airbnb. You just need to start using it. Your home, it might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. A big part of being a responsible adult is taking care of the things you care about. For instance, my bike that I ride in to work on. I keep the tires pumped. I keep the chain greased. Gone are the days of leaving your bike out in the rain for weeks at a time, like a kid. (laughs) Simply put, the things futures are built around are the things worth protecting. And making an estate plan now means gaining security of your assets and peace of mind for you and your loved ones. With Trust & Will, you can create and manage a custom estate plan starting at just $199. Go to trustandwill.com slash howtomoney for 10% off plus free document shipping. As the primary breadwinner for our family, I've taken the steps to ensure that Kate and the kids that they're going to be taken care of if something terrible happens to me. Each will or trust is state-specific and customized to your needs. Their simple step-by-step process guides you from start to finish with ease. So get the peace of mind you deserve by creating your estate plan with Trust & Will. Secure your assets and protect your loved ones with Trust & Will. Get 10% off plus free shipping of your estate plan documents by visiting trustandwill.com slash howtomoney. That's 10% off and free shipping at trustandwill.com slash howtomoney. All right, we are back from the break. We're talking about super communicating with Charles Duhigg. And honestly, Charles, part of the reason we wanted to have you on is because money conversations, they can just be fraught with peril. Like Joel mentioned just before the break, like a budgeting meeting, uh, you gave an (laughs) instance of how you and your wife, (laughs) this is a trap that y'all kind of fell into. Make your hair stand on edge. And because of that, though, I think a lot of couples tend to tend to avoid some of these conversations. But then when they do that, they miss out on all the positive benefits of getting on the same page financially, making progress with their goals. So do you have any tips for those couples uh, who might be avoiding the conversation because they're worried about the relational consequences, right? They don't want to fight. And is the first step maybe identifying what kind of conversation that you are about to have, sort of like you talked about just before the break? I think that's part of it. And I think even before you do that, so a, a lot of what we know about having conversations about money is also true about having conversations about topics like race and gender, which is really interesting, right? Because we don't think of those things as being similar. And yet they all tap into a lot of anxieties when we tell someone you need to talk about this. And so what happens with money is that oftentimes the thing that's preventing us from having the conversation and the thing that's ruining the conversation is that we have an anxiety about what's going to be said and how it's going to be heard that we're afraid to voice the anxiety itself. And as a result, the anxiety pushes us to say to say things we might not completely want in the way that we don't want to say them. And it pushes us to hear things in the way that the other person isn't trying to communicate. So what's the first thing that we should do before we have a conversation about money? We should say, look, let's have a conversation about money, right? Like, let's let's find the right time to do this. It's, we're not going to do it at 2 o'clock in the morning. We're going to do it at 10 <laughs> after the kids have left for school. But let's set aside half an hour. And let's start by just saying, I want to acknowledge this is a hard conversation and it's going to be awkward. I might say the wrong thing or say something in a way that I don't intend. You might misunderstand me or you might say the wrong thing. And I want you to know I am not going to hold that against you. And I want to ask you not to hold my mistakes against me. So let's just acknowledge at the outset, this is potentially an awkward conversation. Then the next thing that we can do is we can decide what kind of a conversation we want to start with. Now, the truth is that most of the time when we're talking about money, we think that we should start with that practical conversation, right? We think we should talk about making plans and creating budgets together and how that's going to work. But the thing that's happening in a money conversation is that emotions are so pitched that they can ruin that conversation. Because I'm going to react with fear or anger, or I'm going to hear something you're saying and not understand it because it taps into some anxiety that I have. And so oftentimes after saying this is going to be awkward, the first thing we can do is to say, let's start with an emotional conversation. Tell me, like, how do you feel about the money in our life right now? Are you worried? Are you satisfied? Are you feeling okay? Are you feeling kind of uptight? Just tell me about how you feel And then I'm going to tell you how I feel and we're going to loop each other. I'm going to repeat back what I hear you saying to show that I'm to prove that I am listening and also to make sure I'm getting it right. 
And then once we're aligned, once we've sort of gotten this emotional thing on the table, then we can start having a practical conversation. Yeah, I mean, I think people often think that money and money conversations are about the spreadsheet. <laughs> um, but so much, a massive percentage of how we think about personal finances has to do with our background, our history, you know, how our parents handled money. There's so much emotional and historical kind of stuff we have to dig through. It's not just dollars and cents and spreadsheet stuff. And when we treat it like that, we're often uh, yeah, at the risk of being misunderstood or not having a productive conversation or maybe like overshooting and not really seeing what our spouse or our partner is going through. Uh, I want to talk to you, you. You say that the goal isn't to win the conversation, right? But you also say yeah. that it is a negotiation of sorts. So how does taking the, a win-loss approach set us up for failure? And how does negotiation it make us actually have better conversations? Yeah. So the, in psychology, what they refer to the, the starts of conversations, they refer to them as quiet negotiations. And you're exactly right that the goal of this negotiation, this quiet negotiation, it is not to win, right? And oftentimes we go into a conversation thinking, my goal is to get the other person to agree with me, or my goal is to convince them of something, or my goal is just for them to think I'm smart. But actually that sets our conversation up to be a failure. Yep. The real goal of any conversation is understanding each other. Simply understanding what the other person is trying to say, make sure that they understand you. And if you walk away disagreeing with each other, but you both understand each other, then that conversation is still a success. Yeah, mm. that's right. So this quiet negotiation, instead of trying to negotiate where I win something, my goal is to negotiate to understand what you want and need out of this conversation and to share what I want and need out of this conversation. That's how we create what's a win-win negotiation, right? Yeah. Whether it's it's a conversational negotiation or if you're trying to like close a deal, the best deals are the ones where there is a win-win, where everyone walks away happier than they were before. And if we go into that beginning of the conversation and we say, look, I'm gonna, my goal is to, to figure out what we both want and need and to understand, then what you'll start doing is you'll start doing these little experiments. And, and most of us do them without even realizing we're doing them, right? We might, we might make a joke and then we'll look to see if the other person laughs along or if they're still serious, yep. if this is a formal <laughs> conversation. We might interrupt each other a few times at the beginning of the conversation to figure out, is this a conversation where we ping pong back and forth or is it one where you talk and then I talk? We conduct these experiments without actually even thinking about them. But super communicators, people who can do this consistently, they pay a little bit more attention to how the other person reacts. They try a little bit more, they experiment more. And most importantly, if they try something and it doesn't work, they don't see it as a failure. They don't see it as an awkwardness. They see it as a piece of data they can use. That's, I mean, that, that's a part of why it's been so hard, I think, for folks to communicate online. But, right, like you talk about the body and the facial cues. Those YouTube comments are great. Man. I don't know what you're talking about. But just like, like you said, just picking up on like a sigh or a shifting in the seat or yes. like a waver in someone's voice. Like you talk a lot about that. And, and even how like babies that they're able to like... There's a certain amount of oh, reciprocity cry or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, like you got that. But but even just the reciprocity that a baby exhibits when when they're looking looking at their mother, uh, you talk a good bit about that in the book. Well, that's that's exactly true. Now that being said, that doesn't mean you have to have that visual element, right? In fact, one of the interesting things is that again, because our brains are designed to be good at communication, they aft they often adapt to the situation that we're in. So. So one of my favorite examples of this is that when telephones first became popular about 100 years ago, there were all these articles and studies saying telephones will never be used for meaningful conversations because you can't mm -hmm. see each other. So it's basically going to be like the telegraph where we use it to send, you know, short messages or orders to the grocery store. And that was actually true when they wrote that. They, they have transcripts of people during that early period. And what you hear is that people had these very stilted conversations. They didn't know how to talk on the phone. Now, by the time you and I and everyone else listening was a teenager, we could talk on the phone for like seven hours at a stretch, right? <laughs> and have, the, have these real meaningful conversations. And it's because we learned how to use the phone the same way that our kids today and ourselves are learning how to use online communication. Now, the key, though, is to pay attention to how different channels require have different rules that when I'm I'm texting you, that's I need to I need to communicate differently than when I'm emailing you, than when I call you, than when I see you. 
And most of us know this intuitively, but then sometimes we forget because everything's so fast moving. We jump online, we type a note to someone, we can hear the sarcasm in our own head of what we're saying. But when they read it, they don't read it as sarcastic. They read it as serious and they get upset. And so the key is just to remember our brains can adapt to new channels of communication, but we have to remind ourselves that the rules are different from channel to channel. That's true. Okay, so I want to go back to, like, as you're talking about the negotiation, the quiet negotiation process, I love how you wrote about the fact that, like, it's a creative endeavor. Yeah. You use language, and similar language to kind of describe that. But basically what you're doing is by having that sort of quiet negotiation, by sort of ping-ponging back and forth, especially when you are talking about something, like, again, when it comes to money, is I think if you can go into something with an open mind, go into a conversation with an open mind and not necessarily having a fixed end goal, you both, both partners might end up at a goal or a result that neither one of them could have come to on mm-hmm. their own, where there's maybe yeah. a little bit less sacrifice than either one of them could have ever imagined and how that's just such an important part of the communication process. That's exactly right. And think about how, think about how powerful creativity can be in finding new ways to talk about things that are hard. So one of the, one of the things that I, I find, I, I've been married for about 20 years now, but when I talk to friends who are dating, They say that, you know, one of the hardest conversations, and it usually happens on like the third or fourth date, maybe the fifth, is talking about money because they want to figure out, are they aligned, right? Are they, are they, do they both, do they both like to save in similar ways? Do they both like to spend in similar ways? Because if you're, if you're not aligned on money, it it can be hard And, and not everyone is perfectly aligned, but, but you should at least know. And so one of my friends, what he does is he try, he says like, look, I'd like us to talk about money. And I know this is really emotional. It causes a lot of anxiety. So instead of talking about actual money, I want to talk about like how, what we have spent on that has been really meaningful to us and what that says about us. Uh, The old craft beer equivalent. I like it. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And the the reason why I love this is because it's really creative, right? It's a creative way to talk about wealth. Yeah. But it also asks the other person to be creative, to to ex- explain aspects of themselves that I might not know. If you tell me, look, the best thing I spent money on last year was that vacation I went on because I got to see, I got to hang out with this one friend that I only see usually for an hour or two at, to- at a time. Now I, I'm beginning to learn like, for you, money is about experiences. Money is about connecting with people that you don't have a lot of time to, to see otherwise. And that helps me understand how you feel about money in general. And that's really powerful. Yeah, I love that you said that because there, there, there are ways, and that's what Matt and I really strive to do here on the show too, to optimistically endeavor into that conversation instead of like the pointed question that puts people on their back heels, right? And, yes. and that's what the craft beer equivalent is. It's like, let's lean into the things, the positive ways that we think of money making an impact on our happiness and on our relationships instead of like the shame that comes along with, ah, I spent too much on that thing. Yep. And, and we can get to that later on down the road, but let's first think about the way money lights us up in the way that it can actually produce a certain amount of happiness in our lives if we spend it intentionally versus the other side of the equation, you know? Absolutely. And and I think in some ways, I've always felt like money is a language. Yeah. Right. The the same way that like when you first learn French, it's really hard. You have to think about every single thing that you're saying. And then at some point, it's not like you get fluent right away, but but at some point you just kind of you know enough of the language that you can fall back on things and you feel a little comfortable with it. And, and as a result, you feel less anxious going in to talk to a conversation in French. And that's exactly the same thing that I think. And, and, that does, and you're going to make mistakes. You're going to say things wrong, but the other person's going to understand and they're going to forgive you. That's kind of what the conversation with money is like, is that yeah. I want to get to a place where I know that I'm going to say something wrong and I know I'm gonna, this is going to be kind of awkward, but... But I know enough to feel confident to try and explain how I feel about money. And I know that you're going to listen to me. Well, and I like what you said too earlier about acknowledging the hard and being willing to voice some of those anxieties and yeah. and letting your partner know or your friend know, whoever you're talking to in advance. Hey, guess what? This isn't going to be a perfect conversation. Please forgive me in advance. And that sets up the table for, I think, the ability for everyone to feel a little vulnerable. A grace-filled conversation yeah, is, yeah. is yeah. what I heard. Well, and, and you talked too about pre- prepping before an important conversation. Yes. So let's say we're having that budget combo. What sort of preparation would be helpful in order to get the most 
out of it. So part of it is just saying, listen, like having that pre-convo convo, but then other things too, like what else do we need to do to be able to be fully prepared to have a really Absolutely. good productive combo? It's a great question. And there was actually a really interesting study that was done where um, some researchers went into an investment bank. And this was a place where like people like got in fights all the time. They would just scream at each other. They would all like, you know, they were all masters of the universe and they all wanted to dominate. <laughs> and of course, many of the conversations were about money, right? Because they're bankers. And so what, what these researchers did is they said, look, for the next week before every single meeting, what we want each person to do is write down on like an index card, one sentence. We want you to write down your goal for this meeting and the mood that you hope to, that you hope will be established. And so people did this before every meeting. It would take like 10 seconds. They would sit down. They would write this this sentence. Then they would stick the, the card in their pocket. They never showed each other the cards. They never even discussed the cards. But the incidence of conflict in that week went down by 80% in mm. those meetings. And the reason why is because once people knew what they wanted to accomplish, and once they had an idea of the mood that they were hoping to establish, it made it much easier for them to communicate that to other people. And those other people could communicate back. So before we have a conversation about money, the same tactic is really, really valuable. Each person just sit down. You don't even have to write it. You can just say it to yourself. What do you want to get out of this conversation? Like what's the number one most important thing? And then what kind of mood do you want this to be light and like joy filled? Do you want this to be serious? Do you want this to be something where like we're getting down to business? Simply deciding what we want and what mood we want that helps us communicate to the other person what we need. That helps us match each other and have the same kind of conversation. And again, it only takes 10 seconds, but it can be transformative. Yeah, I love that because you're also just being respectful, right? Because yeah. in, in a certain sense, what you're doing is you're preparing and you're thinking like a few steps ahead as to what it is that you want to accomplish. And I think that can keep keep couples in particular from getting sucked into some of these small fights that they might find themselves yeah. in as they start bickering over sort of the just the hard numbers and be like, well, all of a sudden we're arguing over how much you pay to go to the gym. And <laughs> really what this is about is just maybe about a conversation about health and yeah, or control or any number yeah. of yeah. things. Right. And or maybe I didn't get the thing I wanted because we didn't explicitly say I could spend money in this other way. <laughs> yes. And and yeah, so it's not necessarily, it, oh, you spend 150 bucks a month on your gym membership it's it's we didn't actually set boundaries and rules for who gets to spend money on what no questions asked right it could be a conversation about fairness that, it, yeah. that you're exactly right we can definitely afford that 150 dollars. we can afford 300 dollars. but i feel like i'm sacrificing and it feels like you aren't and does that feel fair you, right. you know there's a story <laughs> in the book about um about you mentioned this about how nasa um chooses its astronauts and one of the big changes is that they they started paying attention to how the candidates to be astronauts would do things like laugh because what they found is that the best the people who ended up being the best astronauts the ones who had the most emotional intelligence if i laughed really big and loudly they would laugh back at the same volume and then there were other people though who would basically would kind of politely chuckle like i would be like ha, 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 ha. they'd be like ha <laughs> That's funny because you know you're supposed to respond, right? You know you're supposed right, to right. laugh back. But there was something about matching the other person, about matching their intensity, about ma showing them that you want to connect. And 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 laughter is about showing we want to connect. 80% of the time mm. when we laugh, it's not in response to something funny. It's because we want to show the other person that we like them, that we want to connect with them. And when they laugh back, they're showing us the same thing. And what the reason why the, I, I mention this is because Think about in conversations about money, how often someone might tell a joke or might make a little like side comment and then smile and laugh a little bit. That's an invitation. That's an invitation for us to connect with each other. That's saying like, look, this is a tough conversation, but we can still kind of like take a little break. And if we ignore that, if we say, oh yeah, that's funny, let's get down to the budget. Then what we're really <laughs> doing is we're, we're preventing that opportunity for connection. And so listening for these small emotional signals, whether they be light and happy or something unexpectedly serious or something where someone says, I'm worried about this and you don't understand why they're worried, those signals help us figure out what we ought to actually be discussing. Awesome. Well, Charles, we've got a few more questions we want to get to. Uh, specifically, I think we want to dive into just vulnerability and, and what it means to really get to know someone as we're talking about relationships and conversation, communicating. We'll get to all of that right after this. Thank you. 
So we've mentioned on the show how we've got a Dominican trip coming up. We're going to celebrate, Joel, you and Emily. You're both turning 40 this year, so Woo-hoo. we're doing it up right. And a lot of listeners, they might have trips of their own planned. And sometimes those vacations can get expensive. So what better way to offset some of those costs than to have your home earning some money while you're away? Yeah, that's right. Why let it sit empty when it can be earning extra income on your behalf? It's a smart and practical thing to do. So think it through. Maybe you have some extra space in your home. Maybe you have a whole house to host. Or maybe you're going on vacation and your home is just going to be sitting empty. In every case, you can Airbnb it. You already have the space, so it won't be a huge adjustment. Yeah, I mean, the way I see it, if you're not using your space, you've got two options. You can either let it just sit there empty, or you can do some optimizing and make some money off of it. Really, if you think about it, you already have an Airbnb. You just need to start using it. Your home, it might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. And now a word from the show's sponsors at Betterment. Do you want your money to dream big? Do you want your money to be a total self-starter? Are you annoyed that your money doesn't work hard enough? Don't worry. Betterment is here to help. Betterment is the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Their automated technology is built to help maximize returns, meaning when you invest with Betterment, your money can auto-adjust as you get closer to your goal. Rebalance if your portfolio gets too far out of line and your dividends are automatically reinvested. That can increase the potential for compound returns. In other words, your money is breaking a sweat while you can be breaking bread. You'll never picture your money the same way again. Betterment, the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Visit Betterment.com to get started. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. Hey folks, it's Matt. I've got to tell you about something new I've been trying this year. I've been drinking a little Health Aid kombucha every day, and I feel amazing. It comes in so many delicious flavors, but my favorites so far are Pink Lady Apple and Ginger Lemon. So what exactly is Health Aid kombucha? Well, it is a fermented, bubbly, probiotic tea that's good for your gut. It's blended with real fruit juice, and it's super thirst-quenching, a little sweet and a little tangy, and very refreshing. I'm sure you've heard about the importance of gut health and supporting uh, your overall health. It's something I've read up on a good bit over the past year, which is why I've made Health Aid Kombucha a part of my everyday routine. Literally every afternoon, I'll have some. It's super easy, and it's affordable, too. My favorite grocery store, Aldi, they carry it as well. If you want to give it a try and see how great you can feel, look for the brown bottle with an anchor and make Health Aid Kombucha your go-to for a healthier, happier you. All right, we're back from the break. Still talking with Charles Duhigg about super communicating. And I want to kind of tap into what we were just talking about just a little bit there, Charles, on uh, laughter. And you specifically write about humor. I'm the kind of guy who might overuse uh, humor as a, as, a, as a way to kind of you know get that conversation going and flowing. And I don't know. So how do you find the balance maybe where you use too much of it, you're not being serious enough, but it, it is like salt to a dish where it's a necessity. And if you avoid it altogether, um, if you can't maybe kind of come up for air uh, with a little joke now and then, then I, I don't know. And, and it depends on the conversation too. So how does humor maybe uh, fit into having a productive, helpful, good conversation? Yeah, it's a great question. And humor is really, really important. And so I'll tell, talk a little bit about what super communicators do. One of the things that we know super consistent super communicators do is that they tend to they tend to offer what's needed in a conversation. So if it's hmm. if we hit a moment that. where there's a lot of tension, if we hit a moment where the conversation lags, that's when they might make a small joke. And usually it's not very funny joke, right? Usually it's something where like they're just they're just acknowledging something or they're just making some wry comment and but it gives everyone else a chance to take a break but most importantly the other thing that they do is they pay attention to how people react and then they match them so let's say that i tell a joke and you you don't respond by laughing but you get really really serious well at that point i can either insist on being jovial right or (laughs) Or I can say to you, or I can say to myself, like, oh, this These guys are serious. <laughs> yeah, this seems like <laughs> we're getting into some serious stuff. And I can match you. Or I might invite you to match me. I might see that you got really, really serious and we talk about the serious stuff. And then and then it seems like we've talked about it, we've gotten it out of our system. Then I make a joke. I kind of lighten the mood so that we can get back to a more natural conversation. Y- there is no one answer about when to use humor or how much humor to use or when to get serious, except to say, 
paying attention to the other person. And this is what super communicators do. They just pay half an inch more attention. They think half an inch about what they're about to say before they say it. That paying attention to the other person allows us to figure out what kind of conversation they are looking for, whether it's emotional or practical or social, and then to join them there and invite and invite them to join us. It's basically like the response to the joke tells you everything. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Yeah. Ask the joke. And then instead of trying to figure out, was it a good joke? Just pay attention to how the other person responds because honestly, well, oh, it's always a good joke when I'm telling it. What's funny is that I mean, Charles, like you, you say that it's not, it's typically not that great of a joke. It's just I think you said like a wry comment, except that in the moment, it's the funniest joke it's of all time joke. because ever because it's needed. I'm just envisioning an instance where everyone is super serious and there is a whole lot of tension, but you know what, you need to cut it. Yeah, and uh, like like Joel said, yeah. come up for air. Yeah. <laughs> well, and and what's interesting is we've laughed a good amount on this podcast. I don't think anyone said anything that funny. No. <laughs> We laugh all the time. You know what it makes me think? Very of? few jokes are said. I remember seeing some stats at one point, Charles, about the like the 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 game, the pregame show before NFL games, and how it it's those guys are laughing all the time. If you think they're, I feel like they're laughing like forty percent of the time. It's almost absurd how much they laugh during those pregame shows. But that is really attractive to people who watch them. Uh, to, watching Terry Brash, I don't even know who's on there anymore because I don't really watch football. <laughs> um, but it's it's something about that conversation and the laughter and the kind of mutual enjoyment of each other that people are attracted to it's yeah. not even just like oh give me all the breakdown analytics of of the game that's coming up so much is about the how they relate to one another and we find that enjoyable watching it as humans and it's because they match each other because when one person laughs the other people laugh as well that you know that they're connected and the yeah. same thing can happen with other emotional expressions i mean think about in your conversation when you do get serious suddenly yourself when you say something that's meaningful that maybe like you're taking the conversation to another level think about how good it feels when the other person matches you meets you there when they say oh, i hear what you're saying like yep when my dad passed away i felt the same thing and i totally understand how this has influenced everything you've done since then hmm. it feels like we're heard and understood and what's important is again i mentioned that our brains have evolved to communicate when when we were evolving, a part, the, the way that communication was reinforced was that anytime we connected with other people, it felt wonderful. In fact, our brains are hardwired to feel good when we connect because that's what led us to build families and then communities and then villages and eventually cities and countries, right? These things that helped make humans more successful. And so we all have this need inside of us, this craving to connect with other people, to feel like we're understood, to let them know that we understand them. And when we listen to that craving, that's when we start to really communicate. Yeah, it makes me think of uh, one of the examples you give in the book is, I, th I think the, the guy's, the speaker's name was Epley, perhaps, but basically yeah, he, he, he had a bunch of like high power, really rich folks that came to this conference and he told them, hey, you're going to spend 10 minutes really getting to know each other. And everybody like freaked out because <laughs> basically everyone's afraid of of being vulnerable. But I'm not going to lie, like by the end of that story, like I was almost tearing up myself because they, <laughs> like, like seriously, these individuals were able to connect in such a short amount of time to each other. It just shows you how much of a need there is for some of this deeper connection. And I mean, I guess it leads me to th wonder, like, do you think that we keep conversations just too surface too much of the time, right? Like, do you, do you think that a lot of folks are afraid to get real and raw and emotional and that too we're much all, weather talk that we're all just missing out? Well, I, I, I think there are missed opportunities. Now, I will say not everything has to be a conversation, right? Like sometimes you're yeah. on the bus and you just want to read your book. You, know, <laughs> you don't want to have a conversation or my kids come up and I say, like, I want to have a conversation about your rooms and I don't really want to have a conversation about their rooms. I want to tell them they need to clean their rooms. But there are all these opportunities that we could miss where and it doesn't have to be deep. It doesn't have to be meaningful. It can just be a connection that like feels good because we both discovered that we went to the same high school and we know some people in common. And then we talk about like what, what we loved about high school and what was like less great about high school, right? Just connecting with another person just feels good. It, in fact, there's study after study that shows that people who connect with others, who have deep, meaningful relationships with it, with at least two or three people, at age 65, they are healthier than everyone else. They are more successful than everyone else. And they are happier than everyone else. Hmm. Connections are what make our life rich. And so it's not that you have to do it all the time. It shouldn't feel like a chore. 
but we should be able to recognize that opportunity and seize it when we're ready for it. Okay, last question. Uh, well, I'm curious about introverts. I'm 100% extrovert, so you're saying this, you're like preaching to the choir. <laughs> I'm curious, <laughs> introverts feel very differently about connection or maybe it's just specific times where they feel like, oh, I've, I, I can at this point engage in this. For me, it's like natural. I always want to engage even with strangers on the bus, despite the book I'm reading, that's just my natural bent. Despite the book that they're reading, right. you are still talking yeah. at them. <laughs> like, hey, bud, what you going on? And I'm not picking up that cue that they want to read their book and not talk to me. But um, So talk to me about introverts. And then, and then just tell me too, Charles, Like, what has the act of writing this book, what has it meant to you and how has it changed your ability to communicate effectively? How has it impacted your life? Yeah, it's a really good question. So on the introverts thing, so I originally going into this thought that super communicators would all be extroverts or they would all be super charismatic. And what I found is exactly the opposite. Hmm. It, basically, your charisma, your natural extroversion or introversion, it has almost no impact whatsoever on whether you become a super communicator. Oftentimes, in fact, super communicators, consistent super communicators are people who at some point in their life had trouble connecting with other people. Maybe they, they, they never found their friend group in high school or their parents got divorced and they had to be the peacemaker. And as a result, that's what helped them think a little bit more about communication. And it's that thinking a little bit more about communication, about thinking about how to how to connect that makes them into a super communicator. So for someone who's an introvert, if you're not comfortable, you should definitely not do anything that feels uncomfortable. If you're on a bus, you shouldn't have you. I half the time I'm on the bus. I don't I mean, most of the time I'm on the bus. I don't talk to the person next to me. I want to read my book. But but the 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 point is that anyone can become a super communicator anyone can learn these skills and it's just it's just a set of simple skills that allow us to recognize what kind of conversation is happening to to connect with other people anyone can learn those skills whether you're an introvert or extrovert and then you don't have to use them but at least then you have them in your back pocket for when you want to use them and to answer your question about how this has influenced me you know so my wife and I do this thing where when we start a conversation, we will very often say, do you, do you want me to, do you want me to help you solve this problem? Or do you want, do you just need to vent? Like, mm-hmm. do you want me just to listen? Cause you want to get this off your chest. And like that has made things so much better. Now, when I'm talking to my kids, instead of asking them about the facts of their life, these shallow questions, like, you know, what'd you do in school today? Who, who did you have lunch with? Now I try and ask just a slightly deeper question. Like what was the best part of today? Like, I, you know, I know that most of the time you have lunch with Jasper. What do you like about Jasper? Like, what do you admire about him? And those questions, they are more real. My kids, when I ask them fact-based questions, they say, fine, no, it was good. (laughs) Yes, no. When I ask them how they, instead of asking them about the facts of their life, when I ask them how they feel about their life, they tend to tell me this incredibly rich tapestry. Mm -hmm. And I learn things about my kids I wouldn't learn otherwise. I love that. That's yeah, cool. you, you talk about that. Uh, you highlight that in the book by saying to ask those open-ended questions because they do lead to, to so much more in life. But yeah. Charles, thank you so much for spending some time with us to, uh, to talk with us about your new book. Where is it that folks can learn more about you, what you're up to, and where they can purchase the book? Yeah. So the book's available on um, February 20th, wherever you buy books. And in fact, you can pre-order, which I would enormously appreciate. That's you right. You can find it on Amazon and Barnes and Noble, your local bookstore. Um, and then if they want to find me, if you just Google me, Charles Duhigg or The Power of Habit or Super Communicators, my website will come up. And and I'll, I'll mention that my email address, which is charles at charlesduhigg.com is on my website. And I read and respond to every single email I get. I feel like, I feel like connecting with other people and communicating with them, if somebody takes the time to write me, I owe it to them to write back. And so if um if you if you have thoughts on communication, I would love to hear them and and I promise mm-hmm. you I'll be back in touch. That's impressive because we do the same, but I think you're getting more email than we are, Charles. <laughs> I think we've done like 28,000 emails. So oh far. my god. It's like it's yeah. a lot of emails, but but lot. I mean again like We've done it's, 28, so it's, yeah. It's a joy in life to to be able to connect with people. Most nice. Times. Well, Charles, thank you again so much for talking with us today. Thanks for having me. All right, man, that was a, what a great conversation with Charles Duhigg. I mean, uh, nice to have a return guest, but writing something almost in the completely opposite vein of kind of what he's normally to, instead of productivity, it's less about productivity, it's about having productive conversations. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, yeah, the book's so so good. That's what's so interesting about relationships is that they aren't efficient, (laughs) you know, like it takes time and it's not something that we can 
put on 2x because that's that is not how relationships work especially some of these bigger conversations that we might have yeah. with our loved ones sometimes that efficient efficiency optimization mindset comes back to bite us when absolutely when it comes to conversations and having really good ones all right so what was your big takeaway from this combo so he, he talked about a lot and i think my big takeaway though is going to be just paying attention a little more than you might otherwise would have when it mm. comes to the other person that you're you're that you're speaking with um it's just about thinking a little bit more about what it is that they're thinking about it's not just it's like it's less of a knee-jerk reaction and it's more about what is needed right now in this conversation in order to to facilitate the conversation in order yeah. for us to achieve our end goal and it makes it sound super formal right <laughs> <laughs> and obviously there are times when we're just hanging out with a buddy notice and... i chuckled just as loudly as you there <laughs> i know what's funny is that the whole time during the conversation i was a little self-conscious of the laughter <laughs> after we started talking about the laughter yeah. part of it. Um, but it, it doesn't have to be overly complicated. It's just about paying a little more attention to the other person, which is, I mean, that's what it's about. That's, that's what being selfless and caring and thoughtful is about. It's just about paying attention to the to the other. That, that doesn't mean not having an opinion, but it means, hey, maybe it means not being a freaking bulldog and bulldozing somebody when it comes to either their opinion yeah. or what their goals are or maybe their idea for maybe a strategy to achieve whatever goals that you might have uh, shared in common but uh yeah i, I don't know I, I like that as just like a simple practical takeaway for everyone i've been guilty of being the guy who's just waiting to get his turn to speak and not paying attention enough to to bounce off whatever the, the person just said so yeah, I feel like I've grown in that, but that's something I could stand to grow in more. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, thanks for bringing but that up. But that wasn't up. your takeaway? What was your, yeah. uh, your big one for I this I think one? The, the biggest one, actually, it's kind of similar. He says, like, Charles said, we're going for a connection, and it takes wanting to connect. And I think oftentimes we're yeah. trying to get the conversation going somewhere to where it lands in our favor, or we're getting the desired outcome. But oftentimes, like, yeah, you even mentioned this, like, we're missing out on potentially better outcomes than we could have predicted trying to push things force things in the direction of our choosing instead yeah. of like desiring that connection with somebody else and i think when we're having those money combos man there might be some like some goal lying underneath the conversation we're trying to force to mm -hmm. happen um, and, and so maybe if we're like a little more interested in what our significant other or what a friend is is trying to tell us then we might unearth some cool combos that we otherwise wouldn't have absolutely dude i could not agree more i love that but all right let's introduce our beer so you and i during this episode we enjoyed an other half beer this is a triple mosaic daydream what were your thoughts i'll say the daydream is the perfect they've got the perfect artwork <laughs> on this can it's just like purple fluffy, clouds pink clouds, pink clouds. yeah uh, yeah do you enjoy it i loved it yeah i just wrote down glorious ipa perfection i don't know that there's <laughs> much more to say about this i was telling a friend the other day about is it, is it yeah go ahead just how good other half is and like it, he was like oh i've had this other brewery there they make great ipas and i was like yeah they do other half is just next level and this one's next level yeah it was uh a, with it being a triple it, it certainly was a little bit higher on the sweetness yeah. scale but it was also balanced with the, the the aromatics that you get from the hop the herbal nature the sharpness that you yeah. get from some of those new england ipa brewed hops mm -hmm. <laughs> but uh yeah i'm glad you and i were able to enjoy this one these are ones i brought back from the other half at rockefeller center so it's, it's been sitting on our fridge for a, a few months and it still tastes great still maybe surprisingly so good yeah. and, and glad you and i got to enjoy it. but that's going to be it for this episode head to the show notes up at howtomoney.com and we'll make sure to link to all the different places where you can learn more about charles uh, send we'll him an email he wants to hear from me <laughs> he does and we'll, send us one too we'll link to uh his old book as well the power of habit which is a little more productivity success kind of driven personality type a <laughs> number one enneagram type of person yep this is like the opposite <laughs> kind, of, kind of book, but we'll link to that old one as well because it is also really good. We need a bit of both in our lives to get that balance. We do. We yeah. really do to kind of be the full, well-rounded, well-balanced individual, the best we can be. Right, right, Joel? <laughs> I think you just have to join the army for that, Matt. <laughs> army of one. Isn't that their slogan? <laughs> yeah, but it was all it used to be, be all you can be in the army. Remember that? Yeah, yeah. And now they're all about, it's, it's all about the individual. I could even sing it, but I won't. Uh, that's going to be it. Until next time. Best friends out. Best friends out. All that you can be in the army. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. 
The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Supercharge your work decks with AI-powered Canva presentations. All you do is start with a prompt. You describe your, your presentation in a few words, and Canva presentations will generate captivating slides that you can then customize in seconds. Canva presentations are designed for every workplace and every department. Whether you work in sales, marketing, HR, ops, and more, Canva presentations can generate any deck you want for work. Sales decks, marketing presentations, onboarding plans, you name it. Any department can save time on any presentation with AI. Generate slides and seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Upswell Marketing would like to remind listeners that most people don't belong to two gyms. They don't see two dentists or trust two auto repair shops. So when customers choose your small business over your competitors, they're really choosing you. Upswell Marketing's unique approach includes direct mail, search engine marketing, and social media ads. And in fact, that formula and media mix has fueled more than 10,000 small business success stories. And new customers receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com.